0: The following is a recording of the Just Desserts Mystery Fiction Discussion Group meeting from September 26, 2019, during which all participants were given the opportunity to describe a favorite or memorable standalone mystery novel. Alright, welcome to the September 2019 Just Desserts meeting um, here at Benham Martin Library. Our theme for this evening is memorable standalone mysteries. And that could be mysteries or thrillers or suspense novels, but something that is not featuring an ongoing series character. It could be by an author that's better known, perhaps, for um, series writing. Um, there's a lot of authors that try to dabble. They, they will write a lot of things in their series and then just do a standalone novel every once in a while just to give themselves a break from their ongoing characters. And then there's a lot of authors out there where that's their primary bread and butter, is standalone novels that have no connection to anything else. Um, in today's publishing market, it tends to be more the publishers want series. That's what they know that they can market. That's what they know that they can sell. And so... Those series authors that do occasionally dabble in a non-series volume often have to fight their publisher to get something out, but uh, oftentimes the publisher will just do it because uh, it's like, well, how can we keep Mary Higgins Clark happy or something like that? So, With that in mind... Uh, I looked through all the things that I have read over the past 30 years um, that I keep a record of and tried to find something that was indeed a standalone. Um, looking, I, I cataloged my things on or everything I read on library thing, and so I was able to go back and, and look at the tags that I had used, mystery, um, to see what I gave the highest scores to. And it turns out, after having done the whole Hercule Poirot thing, a couple, well, just within the past year, Part of the book talk that I gave about the history of Agatha Christie stuck in my head, and I realized, you know, one of the novels that has the most acclaim that is a standalone, Christie was not known for her standalone. She was primarily known for those ongoing series characters, but the best-selling mystery novel of all time is And Then There Were None, which has also been turned into a play and motion pictures and all sorts of TV adaptations. I realized I had read that way back when I was in high school because my mother got me into Agatha Christie to start with, and she first started me on the Poirots and Marples, and then she threw this one at me and said, well, no, this is not one of those series ones, but you might still like it. And I did. I did like it at the time. So in order to refresh my memory, in order to be able to tell you more about it tonight, um, I went and got the audiobook version, which the library has as a five-CD audio adaptation read by Hugh Fraser, who was um, the co-star in the Poirot TV series. I really enjoyed listening to it all over again. On the other hand, the novel, which was released under um, um, a more uh, unsavory title when it originally came out in England, has gone through a couple of different edits in which some of the uh, racial issues uh, were downplayed or changed to other things. And so what had been uh, an unfortunate one got changed to Ten Little Indians... Then it got changed to, and then there were none, all of which is part of a nursery rhyme, which uh, um, plays into the the plot of the, the novel very strongly. However, as I listened to the audiobook and realized I was going to be away from my car where I listened to my audiobooks um, and needed to actually read the book for certain sections, the book is a different version than the audio was because oh, no. it was like... Indian Island is where it all takes place in the book, but it's Soldier Island uh, in the audio book, and Soldier Island in the book, suffice it to say, it is, it is sort of an iconic novel in which 10 different individuals find themselves on a remote island off the coast of Devon, all of whom have received invitations that seem to be from a friend or an associate to come spend a week um, at a remote um, house. And then they all discover fairly quickly that this was a lie, that most of the people that they were uh, invited by have no connection. These ten people don't seem to be having any connection to each other. They want to get off the island, but there's only one way off, a a ship that takes them out and brings supplies. Uh, And the ship is only scheduled to come once a day, if at that. And not long after that, a person dies. One of the ten dies dies. And then a second person dies, and they realize that this is a honey trap that they've all been sucked into. I found it a fascinating read because the characters, uh, you go into extreme psychology. There's not a lot of action. The killings don't take place on screen. The bodies are all found later, and so this all dealt with the psychology of how these characters are interacting with each other and who can they trust nobody uh... and what can they believe of the other people it is really considered to be one of the best mysteries ever written it is very much of its time it was written back in the nineteen thirties and published in nineteen thirty nine and so it doesn't really hold up to today's psychological suspense um, category but for what it was and when it was i still consider it to be a supremely well-written novel I find it interesting, the the book ends with a coda with the police as they're trying to figure out there's no secret if you know anything about it and then there were none. Ten people, all ten of them die and the coda is the police talking about how could this have happened and then a second coda about uh, the solution which watches up in a bottle on the shore because the person who's responsible decided he couldn't get away with it without explaining it all so that he could get the claim or the the, after death uh, um, get the blame for what Um, he had done. I loved it, but it is very much a thing of its time. So if you're not really into Agatha Christie, this is probably not enough to sell you, but if you've never read this one, if you're only familiar with her series work, I strongly recommend this as a standalone novel, um, which is exceptionally well written. She says it's the most difficult thing that she ever wrote, because she had to have so many moving pieces that all fit properly. Also, at the same time, she couldn't show everything to the audience. She could only show what the other characters in the book would have been seeing, as opposed to having an omniscient er- narrator who could basically explain and think through things. <coughs> so, so. And Then There Were None, also known as uh, 10 Little Indians, uh, marvelous, and I do suggest reading it if you've never sampled it.
1: And also, you know, the, the people on the island are not innocents. They're all guilty, or at least suspected, of doing something no bad. You know, yeah, the, the running over a kid.
0: Um, they all have reasons. Them. They all have reasons to be killed. Yes. Um, it's just the mechan- mechanism of watching how it happens and how they all interact and react to it that is absolutely fascinating.
2: Well, I'm Rayma and I selected a, a book that's really fairly new because I simply couldn't focus on any single one from the past. So anyway, I chose the book "Old Bones" by Preston and Child. And the reason I did this is as a former anthropology major, this one features a new character, Nora Kelly, who's a young curator at the Santa Fe Institute of Archaeology. And she, of course, is a real hotshot archaeologist, very well known in her field, and she teaches and all of this. Uh, She's approached by a young man who is a um, history fellow somewhere, And he has come in possession of a diary that was um, put together by someone who was in the Donner Party. And supposedly this diary tells where the lost camp is. Now if you know anything about the Donner Party, you know that not all of them stayed together in a group. Some of them went off into a second camp and that's where a lot of the cannibalism that they're so famous for happened. Uh, So anyway, she's real intrigued by this and she goes to the head of her uh, foundation that actually decides who gets the money for a dig and they think, wow, that's really great, because uh, this young man who is floating this idea says that there's also the possibility of a fortune in gold that might have been buried in this lost camp. So just to add to the mystery. But anyway, uh, they hire um, a rancher who uh, is on his second career. He was a divorce lawyer. and Now he runs this dude ranch and he uh, helps these people get to the area where they need to go to do the digging. There are some really interesting characters in his entourage. But once they get there and they start uh, digging, which I must say uh, both of these authors really handled that well, the description of how an archaeology dig is organized and Handled and analyzed and, you know, just right down to how deep you go with a trowel when you're trying to uncover something, that's all very, very accurate. And the information on the Donner party is very accurate. Um, the story moves along. I was able to figure out kind of who was responsible pretty easily uh, about halfway through the book. But, you know, that's okay. The fun is, is getting there. Um, one of the things that uh, I was a little nonplussed at this was supposed to be a standalone, and at the very end there 's kind of a heavy handed suggestion that this may become a series and I thought, "Oh darn, but anyway as as a standalone for now it 's very good uh, if you like if you like um, historic based mysteries, if you like strong female characters. There's an FBI agent who somehow falls to the fact that there's some stuff going on that isn't quite kosher, and she gets into the action, too, and she kind of butts heads with with Nora, the main archaeologist, and I thought it was really quite good. Anyway, I would
3: recommend it. Old Bones by Preston and Child. I'm Carolyn, and I had a hard time coming up with a favorite something from the past, so I'm looking down the library shelves... And um, started in A, so Isabel Allende came up. And there was a title there I had never seen, and I looked at it, and it was a mystery. And I thought, well, it's not a favorite, an old favorite, and it's not something I've read before, but I'm going to read this one. So it's called Ripper, R-I-P-P-E-R, published in January of 2014, so it is fairly new. I've got two summaries. I'm going to basically read the shorter one, but the first one that's two pages long The first paragraph, I think, sets the scene for it pretty well. Ripper is Isabel Allende's first controversial foray into genre fiction. In an interview, Allende claims that the thriller novel is meant to be a tongue-in-cheek joke or parody of the mystery genre, which she admits that she neither likes nor has read very much of, (laughs) except a small selection of the more popular examples on the market. The mystery community of both readers and writers took umbrage to the perceived slight sparkling, sparking. Stylistically, the novel seems to be a strange blend of mysti- mystery tropes and literary devices. The mystery is woven around character backstories and flashbacks, even though the dated chapter titles give a sense of linearity. And one of my thoughts before coming tonight was this is a multi layered story because of the different characters and the stories that go with those characters. So um, keeping track of people wasn't really that hard, but you keep getting different stories, and then you get back to the mystery part, and then you get another story, and then, you know, it connects to the mystery. So the summary says, The Jackson women, Indiana and Amanda, have always had each other. Yet while their bond is strong, mother and daughter are as different as night and day. Indiana a beautiful, holistic healer, is a free-spirited bohemian. Long divorced from Amanda's father, she's reluctant to settle down with either of the men who want her. Alan, the wealthy uh, scion of, the, of one of the San Francisco elite families, and Ryan, an Ignat igna, I can't say it. <laughs> Ignomatic. 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 Thank you. A scarred former Navy SEAL. While her mom looks for the good in people, Amanda is fascinated by the dark side of human nature, like her father, the San Francisco Police De- Department's deputy chief of homicide. Brilliant and introverted, the MIT-bound high school senior is a natural-born sleuth addicted to crime novels and Ripper, the online mystery game she plays with her grand- beloved grandfather, and friends around the world. And most of those friends are um, teenagers, or young adults, each having some very unusual character <laughs> flaws or identities or disabilities, but they all love solving mysteries. When a string of strange murders occurs across the city, Amanda plunges into her own investigation, discovering, before the police do, That the deaths may be connected, but the case becomes all too personal when Indiana suddenly vanishes. Could her mother's disappearance be linked to the serial killer? Now, with her mother's her mother's life on the line, the young detective must solve the most complex mystery she's ever faced before it's too late. It was a good book. I really enjoyed it.
1: My name is Kathy. And I also had a hard time finding a standalone, most of my favorites are part of series books. Um, I'm a long time Agatha Christie fan, and I'd read this before. and I've always liked the title, Why Didn't They Ask Evans? Uh, Bobby Jones is maybe mid to late 20s, fourth son of the vicar, was in the uh, Navy, but now is back at home and maybe something of a disappointment to his father. His good friend Frankie is also Lady Frances Derwent. She comes from the money family of, of the area, which is Wales, but they've been longtime friends, but it was always understood that nothing could happen between them because she was money and he was the fourth son of the vicar. And he's out playing golf near some cliffs with the local doctor and they find a man has gone over the cliff. The man's not dead yet, but the doctor says there's not much chance for him, so Bobby stays with the man while the doctor goes off to find help. At one point, the man opens his eyes and says, why didn't they ask Evans? And then, of course, promptly dies.
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and there, uh, there was a picture in his pocket that Bobby saw you know, he didn't know who the woman was but you know, she was quite attractive and he put it back in the pocket and he heard later that, you know, that they published a picture from, his, uh, from the dead man's pocket in order to try to identify him because there was no papers on him and that somebody had finally claimed him and given him a name and he was very surprised at the inquest at the sister that shows up because she's not really very much like this picture that he saw and he thinks well maybe it was just an old picture But and later he remembers that the man had said why didn't they ask Evans so he sends a letter to the sister and says oh this is what he said and then there's a job offer made for him in South America and then somebody tries to poison him and he's lucky to survive <coughs> And then he and Frankie gradually start th- figuring out that there's something fishy about this whole episode. So they gradually start investigating on their own and do find out who the man really was and the real reason that he died. And I do like it, and it's you know, not one of her other series, but if you like Agatha Christie, uh, you might wanna try out Why Didn't They Ask Evans, which is one of the last questions they finally answer. Is, uh, who is Evans and what was the point of that statement? My name is Ida, but I did not do the assignment.
5: <gasps> <laughs>
6: it's all right. <laughs> you came to have fun anyway. That's right. That's all right. All right, my name is Mary, and I did not go back through all my books and pick out what I thought was the best standalone novel, but I did go through what I had written down lately, and the book that I picked is The Stranger by Harlan Coben. And after I went through this whole thing, I realized that as I looked things up, it's a Netflix series. So if you're interested in this character, apparently it's a Netflix series, and I've never seen it. Anyway, Adam Price is a father of two sons, and he's married to his wife, Corrine, and she asks him to attend an athletic meeting for her because she can't go, and they're going to pick the players for these baseball teams. And she wants to be sure that her sons get on the right teams. And so he goes to this meeting. And in this meeting, a stranger approaches him <clears throat> and says to him that his wife has faked a pregnancy. Now, I think that that was a very interesting choice of things to choose to tell this man. But anyway, this stranger then just disappears. Never appears again again. They can't, he can't find him, he can't track him down, none of the other parents there seem to know where he came from, he has no parking ticket in the parking lot, he can't find him. So his only choice is to confront his wife with this story, and she immediately doesn't answer, she just disappears. So after her disappearance, in order to try and find her, he tries to solve the mystery of this statement. And he finds out many interesting things. But I think what intrigued me about this is how a small rumor, a small comment, a small something breaks up all this community. With distrust, because once someone says something, someone else says something else, and then someone else says something else, and pretty soon this community is really in turmoil, and especially this organization of young baseball players. So I would recommend this book. I think it's fascinating to find out how the ending turns around. And I think it's fascinating to see people react to things. And he says in this book, the world doesn't give even the slightest damn about us or even our petty problems. We never quite get that, do we? Our lives have been shattered. Shouldn't the rest of us take notice? But no. And that's kind of what this book is about. So I recommend it if you read it. I hope you enjoy it. Uh yes, kind of. Not there's not much I mean, you know, there's not much uh, gore and and stuff, but it is a dark subject. Yes. Yeah. Sure.
7: Um I am Cheryl and I had just after I'd gotten this stuff that said we were going to do a standalone, I had read a standalone mystery, so I used that one. It's Jericho Falls by Stephen Carter. And um, it is about a a young mother, Rebecca, who they call Beck, who had an affair with Jericho 15 years ago when she was 19 and he was in his 40s. It caused quite an uproar because he um, was the director of the CIA and had been a previous director of the Department of Defense. It broke up his marriage, and she dropped out of Princeton to live with him for 18 months. He was a control freak and paranoid. Fast forward 15 years, he summons her to his mountain retreat in Colorado where he is dying, or supposedly so. His two adult daughters are there, Pamela, a movie producer who hates Beck, and Audrey, who is now an Episcopal nun, but formerly a psychologist with the CIA, caring for him. Jericho tries to convince Beck that she has to help him in a secret mission, that he won't tell her yet what it is, and that many people from his past, all visiting and all mysterious and are all alluding to helping or trying to stop him from revealing these many terrible secrets he knows she has a seven-year-old daughter who may or may not be Jericho's that at least one of the visitors threatens if Beck doesn't stop Jericho or find the written secrets he plans to reveal his mountain fortified home he believes will keep them safe in the end it doesn't one daughter dies and the other is wounded and one side of the people, the ones who are either trying to get the secrets or stop him from sharing the secrets, uh, escapes with the supposedly dying Jericho and the wounded daughter. But it also comes out that all these terrible secrets that he supposedly had that could ruin a lot of people is could be considered a wisp which is in the intelligence community like fake news that has been Planted. um no one knows for sure as the book ends as well as if jericho was really dying i did not like this book <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. but it was the ol- it was the only one that i had read of a mystery that wasn't part of a series so that's why i um you know because it was too com- and the other part about it that i didn't care for is supposedly all of this i mean in the book goes on and on with back and forth, back and forth stuff. was supposed to happen over two or three days. No way could all of that have happened in two or three days. Um, And then I don't like books that don't give you the answer at the end, you know, where (laughs) they take him and take his daughter that was supposedly, was very uh, severely injured, and then you don't know the end. I mean, there's no resolution. I like a little resolution at the end Mm. of my books. So when I got to the end, I went, well... That wasn't very good. <laughs> but anyway. But you found a book. But I had a book. Yeah. Exactly.
8: Um, I'm I'm Christy. I, I'll just apologize to everyone on the podcast. I'm sorry I was late today. I read a book by Petey James, and you guys are all so brilliant and well read. You probably know her. She is famous for her detective novels starring the police commander Adam Daglish. Danglish Daglish. Anyway, she has written my two favorite things combined, a murder mystery and Pride and Prejudice. So this is Death Comes to Pemberley. And, um, of course, Elizabeth and Mr. Darcy are married. And there is a death on their property. Uh, Captain Denny is Murdered, and Wickham is the suspect, and of course um, Elizabeth and Mr. Darcy have to solve the crime, and so it's just light, good fun. If you don't like Pride and Prejudice, you probably would not love this book. But I thought it was absolutely delightful. So, and it's her only standalone.
4: My name's Donna Gustafson, and I chose a, "In a Dark, Dark Wood" by uh, Ruth Ware. Uh, six women attend a hen party in a. Remote house in Great Britain, and the hen party is the equivalent of a bachelorette party in the United States. And the protagonist is Lenora, and when the book opens, she's in the hospital trying to explain to the police why she's injured, why there are dead bodies in the house. And so, then the book then proceeds uh, mostly through a series of flashbacks to the to the recent week to ex- to describe what had happened. It was uh, her standalones. I, I find them fairly layered and uh, complex. And uh, Lenora knew the bride, but she wasn't invited to the wedding. She has no idea why she was invited to the hen party, and because she didn't like the bride, they had issues in the past. And so she talks to another friend who's also uh, attending the uh, the weekend event. And the woman and they finally Laura finally decides to go based on what her friend says. And it's, um, it's very uh, has a lots of twists and curves to it. Enjoyed it a
9: lot. I'm Vera, and um, I actually uh, thought this would be a good idea to read a standalone because um, the author writes differently. When he knows he or she knows the story has a total arc that will not be addressed again, and I think uh, the reader reads differently, also because of that. And uh, there is one word that several people have repeated, and I used it too, and found it in reviews, is multi-layered, and I think the mysteries in a standalone are uh, much more complex because you are focusing solely on the mystery and not on the people involved, so to speak. So with that background, there was one book that I had remembered for a long time. I found that I could remember the title and the author for a number of years. You know, usually you say, oh, good book, but I can't remember the title. And uh, it is called A Place of Execution, which is a phrase that comes from English law Uh, when they still had the death penalty, which was abolished in 1965. But uh, to paraphrase it, uh, it, the judge or the magistrate says, uh, you shall be taken to a place of execution and hanged by the neck until dead. And then you are buried, taken back from whence you came and buried in a common grave, which means a pauper's grave, which was... um, a great disrespect. Uh, so that, uh, it was the title that made me pick it up. I was just browsing the shelves. I found out, you'll be surprised to know maybe that the author was Val McDermott. And uh, I know that we've read her and most people did not like her. Uh, this is, a, like I say, a standalone book. It's totally different from any of her series. It. Uh, won five, actually it won four awards in 2001. It won the Anthony, the Dillis, the Macavity, uh, and the Barry, and was a runner-up that year for the Edgar and the Dagger. And I thought, wow, this is a well-written book. I didn't know that until later. It's inspired by um, a true story of um, Murder on the Moors, which takes place in Manchester in 1963, there were two serial killers, a man and a woman, who uh, were killing a number of children. And um, that's kind of what gave her the spark for the story. And in the story, um, a young inspector is sent from Manchester, and, and of course all of England is abuzz about the serial murders to this little hamlet of Scarsdale in Derbyshire, and it's uh, idyllic and very remote. It's where children could run and play, and you know everyone trusted each other. Well, a 13-year-old girl goes missing, and so he comes to try and investigate. Uh, he finds the village very closed mouth. No one will cooperate with him, and he has to dig very hard but eventually, they find uh, pornographic photographs, and they find uh, a gun wrapped in a bloody towel. And at that time, it was illegal to own a gun. He had no, well, he had no permit for it. They also find some uh, bloody and semen-stained clothing uh, in an old cave nearby, but no body, no body is ever found. But the evidence seems so strong that it's brought to trial. The jury finds him guilty. So he is sentenced to death, insisting that he is not guilty. But um, he is hanged by the neck until dead. Then there's kind of a, a, a break in the story of 35 years. And young George Bennett is now an old man who has retired and also has heart problems. But this is one case that had always bugged him. He's approached by uh, a young uh, female journalist who wants to write a story about this. And so he agrees to an interview and she proceeds to start writing and get advancements on a book, etc. And all of a sudden he notifies her that she absolutely cannot publish the book. He won't allow it. So she uh, agrees to not publish the book and What transpires, the book is kind of in two halves, and the second half of the story um, is very multi-layered, very complex, a fascinating ending that has many turns and twists. And uh, even if you don't like Val McDermott, I highly recommend this book.
5: My name is Cindy, and when I read the assignment to uh, talk about a standalone mystery from our past that left an impression on us, about the only one I could think of was one that I think I must have read read when I was in my late teens or early twenties and it was and I like you I remembered the name of the book and the author the name of the book was uh, The Woman in White by Wilkie Collins and it was published in 1859 and Wilkie Collins and this is probably why I liked the book was that he was a close friend of Charles Dickens And so I'm sure I was reading Charles Dickens at that time. And and so then I thought, okay, this looks like a good one. So I picked it up and read it. And it's the story of Walter Hartwright. And he was a young painter from London who had been hired as a drawing teacher in the city of Cumberland. So as he's about to leave town to go to Cumberland, he goes to say goodbye to his mother and his sister. And he encounters a strange woman dressed all in white on the street and they strike up a conversation and she's very interested in the fact that he's going out to Cumberland and who he's going to be working for and you know as they're walking and then they finish their conversation and he helps her hail a cab and then soon after that encounter he comes across two men who are searching for a woman who's dressed all in white from head to toe and she has recently escaped from an asylum. So I, obviously I really enjoyed the book at the time, and uh, I enjoyed the setting, which was Victorian England, and, and it has stuck with me all these years. Mm-hmm. And I never knew they wrote mysteries back then, you know? So
1: <laughs> that was The
5: Woman in White by Wilkie Collins. There was a, like, a
1: little mini-series on PBS
5: it's also been made into a Broadway play. Oh, okay. yeah! I
1: saw
8: it
5: on
0: Broadway. Huge It's a huge,
5: it's a huge book. So if you have a lot of time this winter, maybe. <laughs> if I, I think he was one of the
1: earliest. Yeah, he was very early. early. Yeah. Yeah. And,
10: the and the Moonstone. Invented, did he write that? Yeah, the yes, yes. The yeah. So that
4: was fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. I like that one better. Yeah.
10: Well, I'm Sharon and I didn't read my email, so I didn't get the note about it. it needs to be something from our past. So I read something modern, but that's okay. It it's one everyone would enjoy. Um so I read The Death of Mrs. Westaway, which someone here mentioned a couple months ago and I was on a waiting list for a long time, finally got it, and I had just finished one of Ruth Ware's other books. I had just finished The Woman in Cabin 10. And so I was really excited to get The Death of Mrs. Westaway, and it is just fabulous. It's unputdownable. Very twisty-turny, lots of... multi layers. uh, Very multi-layered. You love the protagonist. The protagonist is a young gal whose mother has recently died. She's taken on her mother's profession, which is fortune-telling, but she doesn't really believe in fortune-telling, but she needs a way to make a living. She's down on her luck. She has borrowed money from a loan shark who is after her to get all this money back and more. And she's about to lose her apartment. She's about to lose her business. And she gets a letter in the mail saying that she is going to inherit some money from this relative. And she thinks to herself, well, I can't do anything about this This is wrong. It's a mistake. But eventually she decides to go and try to scam them because she is really, really desperate. So she takes every last bit of money she can find gets on the train and goes to this funeral of this woman who she is sure she is not related to, but she's gonna to try to scam them out of this money. She thinks she's gonna get a couple thousand pounds and that will get her out of all her troubles. Well, no, she's supposed to inherit the entire estate. And there's all these other relatives who think they're inheriting the estate. And it is the protagonist, you just love her. I mean, I always love an underdog anyway, and this is an underdog with a capital U. And lots of twists and turns. You can't figure it out until the very end, and um, I, I just loved it. It's, I highly recommend it.
11: I'm Joan, and i was going to talk about uh, Rebecca. That's my favorite, oh. favorite mystery, but I read it 50 years ago, so I don't remember too much about it. So <laughs> I'm going to talk about The Escape Room by Megan Golden. Four Wall Street people are invited to a team-built building exercise in a high-rise building. They're asked to go into an uh, elevator. They, they go in and it closes and the lights go off. It's dark, Their phones don't work, the elevator won't do anything. And so there are clues, but it takes a long time to find the clues of how to get out. They have a hard time finding them. So they have to rely on each other to try to figure it out and and that works for a while, but then they start finding secrets about each other, how they've cheated to get up where they are and uh the hour passes, and the elevator won't won't open. they can't get out and uh, it's it's very intense Scary. <laughs> <laughs> the ending. It's kind of hokey,
12: <laughs>
11: but you can't put it down, I'll tell you. <laughs> I I really recommend it.
13: My name is Jody, and I thought if I wrote it out and had it to 2 minutes and 17 seconds, maybe you'd forgive me for having both a <laughs> more current one and a favorite one. So <laughs> so the first one is Drive Your Plow Over the Bones of the Dead, and it's by Polish author Olga Tokarczuk. It was first written in 2009, but it was just translated into English and then shortlisted for the 2019 Man Booker International Prize and between when it was originally written in 2009 and when it was translated this year there was a movie based on it so I'm anxious to look that up so it's a poetically written and philosophically rich whodunit that takes place in a bitterly cold and windy isolated land in rural Poland It's just next to the border of the Czech Republic. Life there is really harsh and rustic. The narrator is a self-described older woman who is one of only three people who live in this area during the harsh October through April winter months. The novel opens when one of the two older men living in this abandoned area wakes her in the middle of the night, notifying her of the other man's death. Cars often can't maneuver the ice and snowbanks, so walking is sometimes the only option when leaving your own home. Even when summoned by the police to come and make a statement at the station, the narrator has to walk in the stomp down path in the snow made for her by the officers in their big boots walking just ahead of her. More bodies are found... The narrator continues to write letters to the police and make appearances in which she explains the animals have been getting their revenge upon these hunters who are showing up dead. She finds verification of this in the astrology that she interprets. Few people take her seriously and write her off as an animal advocate who is sharing the rantings of madness. You can easily forget this is set in modern day, except for the few mentions of a laptop, cell phone coverage, and one time when the three elderly people are singing, there is a house in New Orleans they call the rising sun around the campfire. (laughs) (laughs) Be prepared for a slow moving book driven more by character description and philosophy than by the mystery itself. And my all time favorite mystery is The Double Bind by Chris Bojelian. The first line of the Kirkus Review, written in 2010, summed it up, psychological thriller, crime novel, and what-if sequel to The Great Gatsby, with significant twists. After Bobby Crocker dies in Burlington, Vermont, he leaves behind at a homeless shelter a box of photographs, Social worker Laurel Estabrook found a picture of herself riding a bike amongst the set of prints and sets about solving the mystery of whether the homeless man was indeed the son of Tom and Daisy Buchanan of West Egg from the book The Great Gatsby. More than any other book has ever managed to do, this book caught me off guard, and I did not see the ending coming.
14: I'm Charlotte, and my favorite standalone is Gone for Good by Harlan Coben. Oh, I know, shocker, Carlin Coben. <clears throat> now, he started out, he wrote two standalones, and then he wrote seven Myron Bolotar with my favorite character, Wynn, seven books all in a row, and then he stopped and wrote five standalones, which would have driven me crazy if I was reading Myron as, as he'd been going along. This one, oh, and I'd also learned with Coben, you want to read the author acknowledgments. Sometimes they're hysterical, or he gives you extra information. uh This one ends with "This is a work of fiction. that means I make stuff up." <laughs> <laughs> or he's got or he's used the phrase a couple of times that um that um, you know, they, they usually write, oh, well, I use these people, they were, you know, gave me lots of good information, and any mistakes are mine. He says, no, any mistakes are theirs. They didn't explain it well enough. This was their field, and they should have made it really clear to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, anyway, one of those uh, that popped in the middle of the Myron Bolantar series is Gone for Good. And you have Will, who, when he was in high school or a little past, I don't remember which, his older brother Ken was accused of raping and murdering his former girlfriend and the girl was found dead uh, in her family's basement there was a ton of evidence against Ken and you knew he was going to be convicted and he ran away so it's you know ten or eleven years now and they've never been found the police have shown up constantly and accused the family of assisting him and he's like we're average Jewish family, we don't have any money, we have any money, you know, really, do you really think we had the money to help him hide from you guys all this time? So the police have harassed them, they were the pariahs of the neighborhood, but the family stayed just because you're not going to chase us away. Well, now it's 11 years later, and the mother is dying of cancer, and she's on meds to help with pain. Every once in a while, she's lucid, or you think she's lucid, and she says to Will... He's still alive and he's going, man eh, mom's hopped up on meds she dies they have the funeral so now he and his girlfriend they're going through his mom's room and clearing stuff up and he' talking oh yeah I remember when she did that and so forth and blah 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 and he picks up a portrait uh, or a, a photograph I don't remember now what it was but when he picks it up another picture falls out from behind the back and they discover that the picture, was only four years old but it's Will, but it's his brother taken four years earlier he's like oh crap <laughs> Ken Riz really and now how do I track him down then his girlfriend disappears so now he's got two mysteries he's trying to solve you meet the most fascinating characters nasty characters there are twists and turns through this thing every step of the way the ending caught me by surprise. The second ending caught me by surprise, and I can't recommend this <laughs> enough. Um, he, it just really—it was a page turner, and like I said, such fascinating characters. And he—and you know—we're all we all know how to read a mystery and what clues to look for. And he caught me constantly with "Holy crap!" That's it. And and I can't, so here you go, Gone for Good by Harlan Coben.
12: Well, my name is Jenny, and thank you, Charlotte, that's a hard act to follow. <laughs> Just give me that book, I'll check it out, and we'll call it a night. But you have two books, <laughs> and
14: I have one, so see you twice as
12: good. Well, the books that I like, they're pretty low-key. <laughs> and And they're a little um unique so I'm not I debated I haven't read books in years that shook me up so much so that's why I chose them but I recognize they'd probably not be for everybody um how do you say Jody Picoult I like her books these are a little more fantasy than Jody's books And a little bit like, I guess, The Goldfinch is very popular now. Has anybody read that? I thought that was too sad for me. I couldn't take that. But it's along that line. But I read The Witch and the Sally Red Shoes, and and I was pretty stunned by it. So then I read her first book, Keeper of Lost Things, which I guess has been on the bestseller list. And that's something of a mystery about finding the owners of lost objects. But the um, Sally Red Shoes book, it's very touching. The first 50 pages, I almost gave up on it because they are a little bit grim. She was a young teenage mother who lost her son, and now she's in her 30s, and she still hasn't given up grieving, and her life has kind of got some downsides to it. But then the author must have decided maybe nobody would read the book because she started to get pretty funny, and <laughs> she lightened it up quite a bit. But the characters are so interesting, and you can kind of see the ending coming, which is actually they hate this it's a happy ending and and I just found that it was touching and it was real and it was kind of jarring and the author is so such a writer that in every two or three pages she'll come up with a couple of sentences that you want to embroider and hang up on the wall because she's that gifted of an author even if the story is a little unbelievable. There's a lady who hangs around the cemetery who used to be an opera star and now she sings to the crows. Um, <clears throat> that's her whole life and, and there's some very unusual characters. All I can say is I, I don't know how to explain it, but this book just knocked me out. Oh and I didn't even say what it was. <laughs> 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 the wisdom of Sally Red she's and the author is Ruth Hogan.
15: My name is Don, and I too had a hard time coming up with a favorite book because my favorite book is the start of a series if it's a favorite book because I've got a bunch of others I love. Well this one is a later book and it's called The Survivor's Club by Lisa Gardner. I like the way it started I'm going to tell you how it started. There's a guy on top of a building and he's got a rifle looks down at the courthouse and the College Hill Rapist is going to be in a team of about five, all shackled together, is gonna appear there. And he's got his escape already already planned. So he has this shell, and I'll explain what happens. And so he's been waiting quite a while, and he sees the van come up, people come out, and he Sights up the guy's head, shoots, explodes his head, and his brains to the inmate in front and behind him. That's tell you why I like the book. <laughs> and uh, that's how you should the first chapter should be. Anyway, and so that he gets all of his stuff, you know, kind of hidden, and goes down, he's, he's dressed as a business person, gets down to where his car is, turns the engine and the engine explodes.
4: Oh, wow.
11: <laughs>
15: dead. But who is this person? And as you proceed through the book you, you, know, you have to discover who the Survivors Clubs are. They're Jillian Hayes, Carol Rosen and Meg Pescatino. They get accused of being The killer or of hiring the killers because Jillian's younger sister was raped and murdered tied up and she walked in on it and she got attacked but one of the neighbors had called Uh, she got away but Megan was viciously raped lost her memory and Carol (laughs) Rosen was also raped and I must have turned it on with my gesturing. Anyway, he uh, so they um, form the Survivors Club, and it's led by Jillian Hayes. She's the brains behind it because she owns her own business. Well, you have to go through then the rest of the book because she also has twists and turns in there, and you find out that the killer... It's involved in two or three other people, and there's other rapes and stuff that they uncover. I like this kind of a book because this is the way a first chapter should start rather than some of the ones we've read where you fall asleep.
16: (laughs) My name is Susie, and I went way back. Um, Most of you know Mario Puso because he wrote Godfather and all those. He also wrote one Thriller in 1990, it, what I would call a thriller. He wrote The Fourth K. And The Fourth K is a novel where a nephew of John F. Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, and Edward Kennedy is now President of the United States. And a terrorist plot develops, the daughter is kidnapped, and then the ensuing, all the stuff that he has to, as president, break out. And then all the reminiscences from JFK's murder and things like that come in. Unfortunately, I was unable to get it it's back a ways. I could not get a copy of the book.
8: Mm-hmm.
16: But um, I do remember it well, and I will get it eventually. I'll find a copy somewhere. And But I thought I could get it through the library, and I wasn't successful. It's kind of in the same vein if you think about seven days in May back in the 60s and then you bring it forward to 1990 and you've got that and very different from nowadays it's all about the characters you know this one's all about the characters it's about the terrorist plot but it's really about the mm-hmm. characters and the relationship so I'd so recommend anybody who's in interested minutes. if you have material for checkout please take them to the first floor checkout desk at this time the library will be open tomorrow at 10 a.m. Thank you. I'm not coming back tomorrow, so I'm going to finish tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, come on. Anyway, um, Mario, this was not a commercial success for him, but he did say that it was his, the most difficult book that he had and the most complex book that he had ever written. So, anyway.
0: All right, and to finish off, uh, one of our regulars, Ladina, was not able to join us this evening. She had to work late, um, but she sent the a photo of the cover of what she had read, saying that uh, this was my mystery read. I loved it a lot. There were lots of twists to it, uh, and that was Trust Me, a new book by Hank Philippi Ryan. So... so. With that, I will thank you all. I'm going to turn the recorder off now. Thank you for a fascinating meeting. I'm sorry we didn't get to our uh, round robins, but we'll pick that back up again next month.